Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's work. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Well, we made it. Nine weeks, in, no, that's not what I'm talking about. We actually made it one full year. Wednesday of this week, August 1st, is our one-year anniversary as Canton Church, a standalone, autonomous church. Now, some of you are like, wait a minute. I attended here more than a year ago, so what does that mean? Was that all kind of a dream, or what happened? So here, let me tell you what happened. So January the 8th, 2012, we launched as a campus of Mount Perrin North, and we launched in a high school And we were portable for 209 Sundays as a campus of Mount Perrin North. And so those 209 Sundays, almost all of them, all but six of them, I believe, were at Sequoia High School. We had five of them at Creekview High School, one of them at Hickory Flat Elementary. And so 209 Sundays portable, we would drive up to the school, put it in the school, have service, tear it all down, put it back in the U-Haul trucks, and drive away. So 209 Sundays, there are 209 rocks on the front of this stage. Some of you didn't know that. But for us, it, it takes us back to the Old Testament where there were altars of remembrance. And so what they would do is they would build these altars every time God did something. And he would say, hey, when your sons and your daughters ask, like, what does that mean? You say, hey, this is where God did this. This is where God showed us this, whatever that looks like. And so for us, we, we have these 209 rocks to remind us of all that God taught us in that season of being a portable church. And then we moved into this facility on January the 17th, 2016, and we changed our name from Mount Perrin North Canton Campus to Canton Church, but we were still a campus of Mount Perrin North. But at that point, we knew that at some point in the near future, we were going to separate and become our own separate church. That was, had been the plan all along. And so we went ahead and changed our name to Canton Church. We moved into this facility. And then last year on August 1st, after we had prayed about it for several months, really over a year, our senior pastor at that point from Mount Perry North was Pastor Mark Walker. He's actually coming September the 9th to be a guest speaker for us. Um, so mark your calendars there. But uh, So he and I had been praying, and the leadership of both campuses had been praying. So August 1st, we separated in this beautiful picture of church planting, kind of launching the next generation of ministry to chase all that God had put in their hearts. And so Wednesday, we celebrate one year of being our own church. Absolutely. I got two people excited about it. But listen, it has been, it's been an amazing year. And some of you, you came to us over this last year. Some of you, you came to us more than a year ago, but since we moved into this facility. Others of you, you came to us while we were at the school, and yet others of you still came to us prior to the very first Sunday. You helped us load it in and load it out and work the U-Haul trucks and set up pipe and drape and all those kinds of things. And whenever you showed up, I just want to say we love you and we're glad you're here And if you're new here and you're like, well, I didn't know any of that story or I'm still really kind of relatively new. I didn't know any of that. Guess what? You're not alone. Every single week when when we come in and gather here, more than 6% of us are in our first, second, or third time. And so if you're new, you're not alone. And so we're excited that you're here because God is up to something. This summer, Corey and I, after this whirlwind first year of what God has been doing, this summer, we just kind of took some intentional time to catch our breath and to look back and to look ahead. And I promise you, I come back so excited about what God is up to. You know, we talked about a lot of things, even in the midst of that separation and that planting of our church here, we had already agreed to go ahead and expand our facility because we had outgrown our facility. And during that time, through your faithfulness, we were able to 
to pay cash for about 60% of that entire project, a couple hundred thousand dollars, pay about 60% of that in cash as we were going along. And then we took out the short-term line of credit to pay off the rest of that. And our goal was to pay it off within 36 months. We didn't want to have long-term debt. We didn't have any debt at that point. And so, hey, 36 months, that sounds good. Our trends of giving, that looks like what we'll be able to do it. And let me just say to you, what was going to take 36 months is going to take less than 10 months, not 10 months from today, 10 months total. We're going to have that completely paid off in the next eight or 10 weeks. And I'm so thankful for your faithfulness. Absolutely. So what that means is when we finish paying that off in the next few weeks, then we won't have any debt for this facility. About three and a half years ago, God blessed our church with 40 acres of property about two miles from here. And, and, and a guy just woke up on a Friday and decided, hey, I want to give this 40 acres valued at $1.1 million to Canton Church. Nobody gives away a million dollars, but he did because he felt like that's what the Lord was leading him to do. Three and a half years later, that $1.1 million is now valued at $2.1 million. And so we're in prayer and discussion. I had a meeting last week. I've got a meeting on Thursday to kind of look at the future for us. And I'm telling you, if you're not excited about it, I'm excited because I believe God's up to something. I believe that God is changing lives here. And I believe that marriages are being restored and sons and daughters are coming home because generations matter. And I'm excited about all that God is doing. And we're just glad you're on this journey with us. And we love you and we can't do it without you. So we're glad that you're here. But you know what? It is week nine of Fruitology, where we've been looking all summer long at the fruit of the Spirit. And what we've said all summer is that all nine of these fruit of the Spirit are characteristics of the life of Jesus Christ. And that even though it's fruit, singular of the Spirit, there's these nine characteristics that are displayed here as Paul's writing in Galatians chapter 5. This is what it says beginning in verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I thought about giving you a quiz in week nine and taking some of those out on the screen so that you would just have part of it and you had to come up and fill in the blanks with the rest, but I decided not to trip you up because I didn't want to do that. Most of you would have failed anyway, even though we've read that every single week. But love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And the Apostle Paul told us there in the New Testament, he said, you've really only got two choices in life. Do you want to live with your flesh and by your flesh where sinfulness and evil will be produced by your decisions? Or do you want to live by the Spirit of God and these things are what are produced? And again, it's fruit singular of the Spirit, even though it's nine things, because it's all of these various characteristics that are displayed in our lives when we allow God to live in and through our lives and to lead us. And we don't lead ourselves, because when we lead ourselves, we get ourselves in trouble. But when God is leading us, good things happen. And here's what we've been saying all summer long. Related to love, we said this, it's impossible to love others fully until we believe God loves us unconditionally. Related to joy, we said that joy is an attitude and not an emotion like happiness. I can choose joy no matter the circumstance. Peace, we said, isn't just what we do, it's who we are. We're called to be peacemakers. Patience, we said, is more than merely waiting. It's the act of extending mercy, grace, kindness, and forgiveness to others. Kindness, we asked this question, are we willing to be like the good Samaritan and get down in the mess of people's lives to show them kindness? Goodness is more than doing good, it's wanting good for others, we said. Faithfulness, we asked this question. What if your future blessings were dependent on your current faithfulness? And last week we talked about gentleness and we said this. Gentleness is an action, but it's most often expressed best in reaction. 
And today we conclude this entire nine-week study of the fruit of the Spirit looking at self-control. It is vitally important, and I won't say that it's the most important because there's no ranking system among these nine, but I would say that without self-control, it's going to be difficult for you and I to live Spirit-led lives because what Paul told us is that, yes, we are led by the Spirit, But he said our responsibility was to crucify our fleshly desires. Those things that we naturally want to do and want to be a part of, our responsibility is to crucify those, to kill those things off, to avoid that type of behavior because that does not produce the Spirit of God living in and through us. That does not produce love and joy and peace and patience and on and on. And so we have a responsibility, and self-control is the way that we crucify our desires. We come to a decision moment. We come to a moment where we want to react a certain way. We want to act a certain way. We want to say a certain thing. But in that moment, we exhibit self-control to control self, to control our passion, our desires, our flesh. We crucify it in that moment by choosing to kill off what we wanted to do and allow the Spirit of God to live and lead through us and model His righteousness in our lives. And so we come to this really important moment related to self-control where we recognize that we do play some part in allowing God to lead our lives. And so my favorite verse in the whole Bible, there's a bunch, there's a lot of great ones, and it seems like every time I'm reading the Bible, I find another one, I'm like, man, that could be my favorite. But I always come back to this one verse that speaks so much truth to me. And if you don't have a favorite verse and you're looking for one today, this is one to throw up at the top of your list because I think that it carries so much truth. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, and it says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And and as I say, every time that I read that verse publicly, I think there's so much goodness in there. And even though I don't have time to unpack everything that I see in there, I see four things that stand out to me in in this verse here that I believe will help us as we look at self-control. The first of those is this. Temptation is common. Temptation is common. We read right there in that passage of Scripture, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Temptation is common. Now, here's the trap of the enemy. One of the traps of the enemy is that he wants you to believe that what you're facing related to temptation is different than everybody else. So you can't talk to anybody about it. Nobody can relate to you. Nobody would understand if you started talking about it. Your struggles are are weird. Your struggles are different. And so if you even tried to tell someone, you know what I'm struggling with right now, they would think, you are crazy. You are weird. But what this verse tells us is that there's no temptation that you face except that which is common to mankind, which means this, and this is the way I've always said it. Maybe this will help you. The struggles that you have, the temptation that you may face, or temptations, plural, that you face, may not be what the person beside you is facing, but I promise you somebody else in the room is facing those temptations. Because the enemy would love to isolate you. The enemy would love to convince you that what you're facing as it relates to temptation is so different and so weird and so strange and so abnormal that if you told anybody, they'd try to have you committed They would call the church elders and have you kicked out of the church and call the police and have you sent off to prison and call your spouse. And and you say, well, there's nobody else that would even, I'm just the only person. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. But temptation is common. 
Where the enemy wants to isolate you, we want you to get into relationships with other people so that you can be encouraged. What I believe is that there are people in your life group that can relate to what you're going through. We don't just talk about life groups as something you should do or could do on your calendar. We believe that those relationships are vital because we believe that there's somebody in the room. And you go, well, I'm not a people person. I don't like people. Well, guess what? They don't like you either. All right? But just give it a try, and if it doesn't work for you and you need a different group, we'll tell them the night of the week didn't work for you or you're allergic to what they always cook, and we'll help you get a different... That's not lying. That's helping. And so we'll just get you into a different group. But you need to sit in a room with somebody... And after a little while, have the kind of relational equity in that room, maybe not with everybody in the room, but with somebody in the room, that you can say, hey, here's my struggle. Here's the things that I'm going through. And they can go, you know what? I'm struggling with that same thing. Or you know what? The other day I was talking to so-and-so in our group, and they're going through the same thing. Let's get together for breakfast next week, and let's talk about it. And you can start to ask these questions, which break down that isolation that the enemy wants to throw at you. You can go, how did you get through that? How did you overcome that? Can I call you when I'm struggling? And there's a relationship there that allows you to find victory because temptation is common. It is not abnormal, and you don't need to be isolated. You need to be in relationship. The second thing that I see here is that God is faithful. God is faithful. You know where I pulled that from? Right out of the scripture we just read. It said this, and God is faithful. I'm not smart. I just pulled what it says right out of the Bible. Not only is temptation common, God is faithful. I could have just left you with that and sent you on your way today. But God is faithful. And here, here's what I promise you. I told you earlier in, in our service that I've, I've been meeting with some folks over the last few weeks that their marriage is on the brink or they're going through a personal struggle or there's some things happening in their life. And, and they sit down in, on my couch or they sit in a chair in my office or wherever we're meeting and they almost always start with something like this. Not every single time, but they almost start with, you know, this is going to sound crazy to you. Well, I promise it doesn't because the chances are that as soon as they tar- start telling me their story, I have heard a similar story this week or this month or this year from somebody else I've been meeting with. It's one of the great joys of my life as a pastor to help you walk that road. But one of the things that I want you to know is that your struggle is not different from other struggles. Temptation is common. And the second thing that I want you to walk away from is that God is faithful. I'm not a licensed counselor. I can't give you seven techniques for this and three things for this and help you breathe better. And do I can't do any of that. But I can show you in God's word that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he's ever healed anybody's broken marriage, he can do it for yours. And if he's ever freed an addict that was addicted to something, he can free you from that addiction. And if he's ever walked with somebody through a dark day, he can walk with you through that dark day because God is faithful You believe no marriage is in as bad a shape as yours, and I promise you, I've seen worse. You believe nobody's as messed up as you, and I promise you, I've seen worse. Not because of something in me, but I've just watched the enemy try to trip people up and time and time again try to help them get away from the victory that God's called them to and live this life of sin and temptation and these snares. And the, the, The enemy's only really got like three or four tricks. And so he's been throwing the same few things at a lot of people, but here's what I know. What we read earlier is true. God is faithful. He sent Jesus to the cross so that you could find victory. God is faithful. So you got to talk it out with some folks and you got to trust God. And it could be that the only prayer you need to pray sometimes when you're walking through it is God, I know you're faithful. God, I know you're faithful. God, remind me that you're faithful. God, show me that you're faithful. Just help me to remember that you're faithful. The third thing is this. God knows you. 
God knows you. Look at this, what he said. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. It says you twice in just a few words right there. He, God, will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, maybe you've heard this some way, some form, maybe even a little bit twisted, maybe even a little bit out of context where you've heard like, you know, God won't put on me more than I can handle. I mean, that's kind of what it means. Sometimes you're going to walk through some stuff that's hard. Sometimes you're going to walk through some days and it's like, I don't think I can make it. And I don't know how you're making it either. But here's what I believe about this passage related to temptation. That temptation itself will never be more than you can handle. Because God is faithful, and God knows what you can handle. And he's not going to allow the enemy to fight you with more than you have the ability to withstand because Jesus has already defeated the enemy. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a story that we don't even have. Like, in nine weeks, we couldn't even unpack all the truth that's there. But it's the story of a guy named Job. And you and I have a context of the story of Job that Job himself did not even have. Here's what happens. There is a conversation that takes place in the heavens Job is never told about that conversation. He's never given the information that you and I have because we can read God's word. The enemy comes to God and said, God, Job is an upright and faithful man who loves you and serves you, and I want to kill him. I want to destroy him. I want to I just turn him away from you. And God says, okay, I know, Job. You do whatever you want to, but don't touch the man. The enemy says, fine. He leaves. And Job has what has to be classified as one of the worst days in human history. He loses all of his family and all of his possessions in one day. And it just kind of keeps happening. Like somebody shows up and says, this is what happened. Somebody else shows up and says, this is what happened. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. But he never turns his back on God. So the enemy comes back to God and says, hey, okay, well, I, I know that he stayed faithful. But of course he stayed faithful. You didn't let me do anything to him. God says, fine, do whatever you want to, to him, but don't kill him. And he says, fine, he leaves. Job gets sick, he gets sores, he gets all kinds of stuff. And then he starts to question God, but he never fully turns his back on God. And here's what I believe about that story. This is the Jeremy translation. If you don't believe this, just earmuff it for a second, okay? Here's what I believe. That God knew Job. And God knew that even in Job's faithfulness and his love for God, that if in one day Job would have lost everything and his physical strength would have been depleted, he could not stand so in day one, he lost everything except God and his strength to serve God. And then after he had grieved and, and worked through those emotions and understood that God was still with him and God was still faithful, then God allowed him to fight another battle because God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear because God knows you. And so don't ever allow the enemy who is trying to convince you that your struggle's different and you're weird and you're abnormal. Don't ever let him convince you that this temptation is bigger than you. This temptation is stronger than you. That's not true. Temptation in and of itself is not even sin. And so the, the enemy's just trying to trip you up. And so often we are convinced that we're losing the battle and the enemy knows that and he's winning. And sometimes it even feels that way. But the reality is because of Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, you've already won. You're already winning. The enemy knows that and he's coming behind you trying to pull at your heels to trip you up because you're already winning. There is no temptation that seizes you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. God knows you. He knows what you can handle. And he's never going to allow that temptation to be more than you can handle because of his strength. Which leads me to the fourth idea. You can do this. You can do this. 
Temptation is common. God is faithful. He knows you, but you can do this. Look at what it says. It says, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Some translations say, escape it. Now, notice what it didn't say. It did not say for you to avoid it. You can't avoid temptation. Here's what I promise you, okay? I promise you that the first day you live in this earth without any temptation whatsoever, whether it's murder or eating the brownie you swore you wouldn't eat, the first day you have no temptation is the day we showed up at your funeral. Because in this world, we will have struggle. We will have turmoil. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means you're a human being. Temptation is common to mankind. But you can do this because sin is common. God is faithful and God knows you. And you can do this. He said he will provide a way out. Not sometimes he will provide a way out. Not every now and then he'll provide a way out. Absolutely, 100% of the time, there is a way out so that you can endure or escape the temptation that you face and not commit sin in that moment. Now, you and I are sinful flesh, sinful human beings by our nature, but in every moment where temptation comes at us, I believe that there is a way of escape. Sometimes that way of escape is prior to us getting in the moment. When I think back on my life, when I think back on some of the things that I've done, the mistakes that I've made even, sometimes bad mistakes, there were ways out. And a lot of those ways out were before I ever got there. When I knew I should get out of the relationship but stayed in it because I didn't want to have a hard conversation. When I was in that moment but I didn't want to call my parents and say, hey, can you come get me because I didn't want the embarrassment of what my friends might think. Or just knowing that I wasn't in the right place or in the right relationship or in the right, like there is a way out. Sometimes it's before and sometimes it's in the moment, but you've got to take that way out every single time. And you've got to lean into the faithfulness of God, recognize that temptation is common, and know that God knows you. And so don't believe the lies of the enemy that you can't make it. You can make it out because God is faithful. And so I thought about this, like, how do I help illustrate this point? Like, how do I show you what I'm talking about? And so I've asked some folks to come out here and help me for just a minute. You know, I thought about the fact that when we all leave here in a few minutes, we're going to get into our cars and we're going to drive away from this church building. And whether you go to lunch, and if you go to lunch, you should go eat Mexican. That's just what you do on Sundays. But if you don't do that, you go home and somebody's cooked roasting potatoes or whatever. That's awesome. You're going to get in your car and you're going to drive to lunch. You're going to drive somewhere. Tomorrow, you'll get in your car. You'll drive somewhere, drive to work. Maybe you got open house at school or whatever it is you're going to do. But we get in our cars and that car takes us wherever it is that we're going. And in my car, I'm usually, if you're passing me on the road, let me just tell you what you're going to experience. I'm either singing along to worship music or I'm listening to a podcast. And I'm going to change your life. If you don't know this, you can listen to podcasts on 2x speed, which makes it twice as fast as what you listen to. And so you can listen to a 30-minute sermon in 15 minutes. And some of you are like, why don't you just preach 15 minutes? Because then when you sped me up to two times, I would sound like a chipmunk. I would be really, 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 really fast. And so I already talked too fast for some of you. So I listen to podcasts on 2X speed, sometimes leadership podcasts, business podcasts, finance podcasts, sports podcasts, all kinds of things to kind of grow and better myself. That's how I try to use my time in the car. I used to listen to sports talk radio all the time. I do every now and then. But if I'm not listening to the Braves game on the radio, I'm usually listening to a podcast or worship music. So that's what's happening in my car. But here's what I know about my car. They tell me that if I stay in my lane, I'm going to be okay. Now, there's some crazy people out here, 
And sometimes even when I'm in my lane, they try to get in my lane right on top of me. And I want to shake my fist at them and tell them they're number one, but I don't do that because I've crucified my flesh and I'm living by the Spirit. And so I just stay in my lane and I just trust that God's going to judge them for trying to get in my lane on my car. So I stay in my lane. And I just get in my lane and I just drive. Well, here's the deal. There's, there's green today, there's yellow, and there's red. Now, this is not what your lane probably looks like. It's probably white on both sides of the lines, maybe yellow on one side. But it tells you where you should, where you should drive your car. But we want to use green, yellow, and red because those are things that you would see on the lights and maybe on signs and stuff. So I'm looking that the green lines are the lane that I'm supposed to stay in to live my life. And when I do that, I believe it's just full speed ahead. For some of you, that means break the law. But I mean, for others of us, we're just going to stay within the speed limit, full speed ahead, and do life and live life in the freedom that God has called us to. Because this is what God has allowed. This is the lane. This is the life that he's destined for you. He's calling you to live, calling you to lead in. And this is, there's freedom here. You go do what you want to within this lane. I'm spirit-led. I'm living to the best of my ability to do all that God's called me to, all that God's equipped me to do. I'm living. But here's what happens. When I get a little bit distracted, when the preaching on my podcast is really good, when the point on that podcast is really good, when I'm listening to that worship music and I'm feeling the spirit of God and I kind of lose a little, I get a little bit distracted or maybe the enemy comes against me and there's some things that somebody gets in my lane on top of me and I'm, I'm losing that flesh battle and I start to drift out of my lane over the line I hear something. Right, I hit those ruts in the road. Imagine that being your job is to put the ruts in the road. I thank God for people who put ruts in the road all the time because it helps me whenever I get distracted and I get out of my lane and I get into the margin. Because as soon as I get out of my lane and I cross that line, I hear something that is meant to get my attention and get me back on track. Now, in my life, as it relates to temptation... If I'm living in my lane of freedom, the question is, do you have any ruts in your life just outside of your lane in the margins that get your attention? Because I hear something and it captures my attention. And the question is, what are you hearing, if anything, that gets your attention? I'm so sorry. You grab that. There you go. I'm in the margins. And now I'm going to go ahead and sit that back down. You get in the margins. Listen, do I have anything in my life that allows me to hear that I'm outside of bounds? For me, I'll tell you what I hear. I hear the voice of God. I, I read my Bible as regularly as I can because Jesus said that my sheep know my voice. And so I want to read the word of God so that I know what the voice of God sounds like. Here's the question for all of us today. If God was speaking to you right now, would you know what he sounds like? If I, if I were to get outside of bounds, I'm out of, out of my lane, I'm, I'm over here where I shouldn't be, I made a decision, I got distracted, I haven't even probably sinned yet. I just, I just did something a little bit that I shouldn't, I went to a place, I was in a real, I did a thing, I was, and it may not even be sin, but it borders on sin and destruction, and so now I'm just outside of where I should be. Is there anything that allows me to hear the voice of God? We provide to you what we call SOAP guides. It's on our website, S-O-A-P, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. You read a passage of scripture every day. Right now we're in Genesis. 
We're reading about uh, creation last week. We're reading about Noah, and we're reading about now the formation of creation after the flood and the ark. And now we're reading about the Tower of Babel, I think, in the next day or so. And so we're reading about all this. And I'm just reading that, and I'm making an observation about it. I'm writing it down. Making an application point. What does this mean to my life? I'm writing it down. And then I'm just writing out a short, quick prayer. It takes about two or three minutes. But I do that so that I hear what the voice of God from God's word sounds like in my heart and in my life. So that whenever I get distracted and I get out of my lane and I get to a place I'm not supposed to, I go, the voice of God is saying, don't look at that. Hang up the phone. Turn the computer off. Don't call her back. Don't don't even walk that way to lunch because you're walking by that office and you know what? No, I'm going this way. So I'm, I'm, because I hear it. Or maybe, and I said this earlier, maybe you're in a life group, which launched in about two weeks, by the way, and I'm hearing voices in my life that are holding me accountable. They see something in me. They hear a pride in me when I'm talking. They, they see a behavior in me that doesn't match who I claim to be and what I've claimed to say. And that is them saying to me, hey, you, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't go there. Because what I've done is I've allowed them to speak up when I got out of line. And now I'm in the margin, but they help me get back where I'm supposed to be. Now, here's the problem. For some of us, we have pushed the margin so far away from us. And we have canceled out all of the voices that would get our attention. We're not listening to the voice of God. We're not allowing people to speak into our lives. And we've pushed the margin way over to the other side. So that by the time we get into that place that's kind of almost a little bit trouble, we don't even realize it, but we're on the edge of the cliff. And over the cliff is death. But if we have moved the margins right over there, where right now this is just dangerous, if I were to pick this up, I didn't do this in the first service, if I move my margin all the way over here, where now I'm right up against the line, I am hanging on by a thread. Not to lose my marriage, lose my life, lose my job, do something I'll regret forever. Because over the cliff is death. And this is dangerous. So I want to move my margins so close to where I'm supposed to be. I want to move this over here so that as soon as I hear that road, I go, oh, I got to get back over here. But I'm still way far away from destruction. There's nothing. There's no way I could get all the way over there without avoiding the voices, not listening to the voice of God. I don't want to live over here. I don't want to hang out over here. Over there is death. And right here is dangerous, but I want to make sure that it's so close to where I'm supposed to be and not so close to where I'm not supposed to be that I can't get in trouble. You say, well, no, I mean, that sounds so constricting. That sounds like God doesn't want me to have fun. No, no. I told you, this is freedom here. There's so much freedom in this lane of life that I've been called to. But if I'm not careful... And I allow the margins over there, and I don't keep the margins close to me. I am in trouble, and I don't even realize it. Because I believe with all of my heart that bad things happen beyond my margin. So where is my margin? How close have I allowed that to get to the life that I'm called to live? The freedom that I've been created, and where where is that margin in my life? Am I listening to the voice of God? Am I listening to the voice that other people have in my life so that I avoid death and I hear when it's dangerous so that I can live in my destiny, a life of freedom and purpose that God has called me to live? Thank you.
Here's what I believe. When I were to get, if I were to get outside of my lane, get into the danger zone, no matter which direction, cross the line, I don't, avoid, I don't listen to the, the ruts, I don't listen to the voices of influence in my life. If I'm to get on the other side of the other line beyond my lane, I'm out of control. I'm out of control. And here's what we want you to know today. Self-control keeps you from losing control. Self-control keeps you from losing control. You say, man, I, but all this stuff that you're talking, like, it just sounds like God doesn't want me. No, 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 you're in control. You're in control of your behavior. You're in control of your actions. You are not a puppet just doing what God wants me to go over. No, no, no. God created you with free will and choice so that you and I have a choice on how we should live. But if I avoid the voices that want to speak truth into my life and go, hey, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't, don't, don't allow that relationship to poison you. Don't, do you realize what you'd be giving up? Do you, they help reframe the temptation so that you can reframe from the temptation. If I, if I get all the way over here, I've lost control. And some of you have been there. You know what it feels like to lose control. But by the grace of God, you're still standing today. And it could be that all you need to do is say, God, thank you that I'm here. And today I commit anew to stay in my lane, my lane of victory and my lane of freedom. I want to I pull those margins in close so that anytime I just even get just an inch outside of where I'm supposed to be, I hear your voice. I hear the voice of others in my life and it calls me back to repentance. It calls me back to purity. It calls me back to faith. It calls me back to freedom and I never have to flirt with death or destruction. I don't even want to get into a place of danger. I want to live in the destiny that you've called me to. That's what self-control is about. Self-control keeps you from losing control. And I don't want you to lose control. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody's looking around. If you would say to me today, Jeremy, you know, for me, it's all summer long, whether I was here all nine weeks or just one week or today's my first time, I recognize that the first decision I need to make is to ask the Lord to forgive me of my sins and be the Lord of my life. To help me to live a life on purpose because he's forgiven my sins and he has a direction and a purpose for me. And so today I want to make that decision. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. You can put it right down. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say, hey, for me, it's not salvation, but I want to live a life that's more about self-control. I, I want to make sure that I'm living in that life of freedom and destiny and purpose that God has created me for. I want to pull my margins in close. I want to listen to the voice of God. I want to surround myself with relationships that will help me grow in relationship with God. And I want to avoid danger and death and destruction and live on purpose in my destiny through self-control. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. God, we love you today and we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate with those who have made a decision to follow you. God, would you forgive their sins, lead and guide their lives from this moment forward. God, we thank you. It is no small act to trust you with our eternity. But God, even from this point forward on this earth, every day that we have breath in our lungs, 
we trust you to lead and guide us. And so God, we thank you for those decisions today. And God, now we pray for every hand that was lifted, asking for more self-control. God, that you would help us as we live spirit-led lives, that we would crucify our flesh and crucify our desires and trust you like never before. God, we thank you today that you can equip us and strengthen us. We thank you, God, that temptation is common. We thank you, God, that you are faithful. We thank you, God, that you know us. And we thank you, God, that we can do this because you're enough. And so, God, we trust in you today. We believe you today. Help us to live in our freedom and live in our destiny, God, and to trust you like never before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to do something right here to close out our time. School starts back this week. If you don't know that, just look at the parents' faces that have kids in school. They're sad. Summer's over. Some of them are like, yes, we made it back to school. But we want to pray for all of our students, all of our teachers, administrators, faculty members, whoever they are, as they walk back into these schools in this coming year, we believe it's going to be their best year yet. And so I'm going to ask any student, teacher, faculty member in the room to come to the front. Just come on up here. We're inviting all of our grade school and preschool kids to come in. They're coming in now. Just come on down to the front. You can come on down to the front. Just get as close to the stage as you can. Come on down to the front. Come on down to the front. Keep coming, guys. Come on in. Welcome, Kids Life guys and girls. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. Keep coming. Man, this is a great sight. What a great sight. We're going to do this in both of our services. So awesome. All right, I want everybody that's up front to turn and look at me. Everybody that's up front, turn and look at me. All your eyeballs on me. Here's what I want you to know. Your church family loves you. We love you. We're so proud of you. We're excited for all that God has done in your life and all that God wants to do in your life. And we believe this is going to be your best school year yet. If you're a teacher or faculty member, administrator in some way, we are believing that you're going to make an influence this year like never before. Just in the way that you live, the way that you honor God, just as you teach math or science or cook lunches or clean the building or whatever it is that you do, we're just believing that just the way that you live your life will model the grace of God towards your students and your coworkers. If you're a student, whether it's pre-K or it's preschool or it's kindergarten or it's middle school or grade school, high school, college, whatever it is that you're in, we believe this is going to be your best school year yet. You're going to have more success in a subject that you've struggled with every other year, but this year you're going to finally figure it out. We believe you're going to make friends. We believe you're going to influence your friends. We just want you to know you're not alone. As you walk into school in the next couple of days, your whole church family walks behind you. We're just going to kind of walk behind you this whole year and support you and pray for you and strengthen you. And here's what I want you to know, and this shouldn't scare you. This should be exciting for you. The enemy is fighting against you. But what we just talked about in here, and some of you were in here, some of the older ones, what we decided in this moment is that God is enough for us. And that even though the enemy wants to fight against you, that God's fighting for you. And he's fighting on your behalf. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve were in the garden. And, you know, Eve ate the fruit, and then she gave it to Adam, and Adam ate the fruit, and then God had to punish their sin. But one of the things that God did in that moment is that God, as he's pronouncing judgment over the snake that tricked Adam and Eve, he made this promise about what was going to happen. Throw this up on the screen, guys. God told the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed. Cursed beyond all cattle and wild animals. Cursed to sling on your belly and eat dirt all of your life. I'm declaring war between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He'll wound your head, and you'll wound his heel. And you go, man, what in the world is that? I don't know. God's talking to a snake. I don't even know what that means. Here's what that means. From the very first interaction between God and the enemy that we have recorded in Scripture, 
God told the woman and God told the snake that there was going to be a war for you. When he says between your offspring, the snakes, and hers, he was talking about you. That's why the enemy fights you. The enemy fights you because he knows that all the way back from the beginning that God was declaring war. And from day one, he knew he lost and you win. And we want you to know that your church family is supporting you and behind you. And we love you and we're praying for you because we want you to win in every battle against the enemy that you fight. All right? Everybody good? Here's what I want you to do. Everybody stand, hop off the stage, and just kind of put your arm on somebody's shoulder or their back, or if you want to hold their hand. I'm going to ask our church family to stand, if you would. And if you'll just stretch your hands this way towards these students, teachers, faculty, administrators, we want to pray for them. God, we love you. We thank you so much that these students, this is going to be their best year yet. We believe that. God, you have called them. You've ordained them. God, we believe beyond any shadow of a doubt that this is their year. God, we believe they're going to find success in school and success in subjects they've struggled in. And God, I believe you're going to put them in the right classrooms to have the right teachers and the right friends. God, I believe you're going to do a work this year in these students' lives. And we're asking you to help them to find victory in every area of their life. Even as the enemy wants to fight against them, God, we know that you win the war between his offspring and hers. God, we, 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 right now, we call angels to protect these kids as they walk into these schools. And God, I pray for every teacher and faculty member and administrator that, God, they would lead in such a way that people see you through them, that students would be impacted and coworkers would be impacted. God, we're believing that this will be their best school year yet. And God, help us as a church family to surround them, to love them, to care for them, to support them in ways that honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen and amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much. You guys can head back. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 